Welcome back. Today is Thursday, August 18th. This is episode, help me out. Seven. Seven. Thanks for keeping track of that. I'm never going to, never going to be able to do that right. How you doing, Trev? I'm doing well. You know, living the dream. Need a haircut worse than bad, but that's problems with moving is you got to find a spot. Mm, that's tough too. That's deli- I'm delicate with that too. Outside of college, the same person has been cutting my hair since I was 11. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, and haircuts are getting too. expensive now. Everything's getting expensive, but yes, haircuts are definitely that's getting true. expensive. You hey, might like, have to just grow mine back out. Yeah, haircut and a, and a nice little cleanup of the beard. I'm walking out of there with a down payment on a home. It's insane. Insane. My guy takes care of me though. It was kind of sad because I went in last week and he was like, Am I going to see you again? And I was like, Man, I can't believe I'm doing this with my barber, but you've known me like my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> you've known me for like, you know, 18 years. So it's like, uh, Yeah, I was like, Yeah, I'll, I'll stop back in for one more cut before I leave. Yeah. He's like, All right, good. Good for you. I was like, Good. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's tough. It was weird. It was one of those, like, I'm, I'm starting to get those, like, last time, last time I'm going to be doing this last time we'll be doing that like uh every friday at work my brother and i um grab an omelet from downstairs underneath the office and you know i asked him that. i was like i'll be friday tomorrow he was like you got to it's the last one i was like wow wow last one saturday i got uh last tea time at my favorite my favorite course with the one and only uh d mountain 6.45 tea time. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Moxon Run, shout out, at Glen, Pennsylvania. So, yeah, it's a lot of last here. Wow. Yeah, it, it, in it comes quick. Ten days. We're not ready. We did a lot of spackling tonight after dinner. All the holes. Why that? Got some, all the holes some nail. Yeah, you know, we had a bunch of stuff hanging in the apartment. And, you know, now everything's off the walls. And we had to spackle and. There's like boxes everywhere. It's a mess in here, but it's, it's creeping up quick. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're going to be down here with your feet kicked up with me. Yeah. Unemployed. Unemployed. <laughs> It'll be fun. I'll be just sole focus will be this podcast. So hopefully people are downloading yeah. and subscribing so we can start. <laughs> exactly. Everybody me. who's listening, please send it to five friends so we can feed our families. Please. <laughs> I beg of you. Yeah, because right now, that's another thing real quick, and then we can get into baseball. I know you just went through this. That's why I feel like it's relevant for me to bring up. Like, scrolling Indeed. <sighs> scrolling Indeed is, yeah. like, impossible. It's awful. It's honestly one of the worst things in the world. Because, like, I just scroll, and I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do. Like, what is the yeah. next step going to be? You know, like, I thought I was going to be coaching baseball for the rest of my life. So I'm like scrolling and I'm just like, I don't know. And then I end up applying to things that like I'm never going to get. But I'm like, oh, but this would be mm-hmm. awesome. But I'm never going to yeah. get it. So it's like, well, you move in 10 days and you don't have a job. I, mean, I got yeah. an interview lined up. but 
I've never felt myself more overqualified and underqualified for the same things while scrolling through Indeed. I'm like, oh, I'm, I could do that. And then, no, I can't. Like, But I'm going to apply anyway. And then you hear back from mm-hmm. nobody. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess people don't like being you know, I don't know. So it's it's tough. It, it's tough not to overthink it, too. Like you don't yeah. hear back from anyone. You're like, oh, what am I doing? And then you realize it's like, no, like just like in anything, like people – I feel like people rarely hire, like you're hiring usually through a connection, right? Like if someone has some sort of connection, yeah. then you're going to make the hire. But like today I, I, I applied to a, a like turf management assistant at NC state and said, well, this would be a dream. Like I'm out there painting the 30 yard line Friday for a home game. <laughs> you know, Wake Forest is coming to town. I'm out there with the sprayer painting a 30 and I'm like, but no one, would, I've never done that before in my life. So like no one would ever yeah. hire me to do that. Like, you know, like I can drag the infield. I know I'd be able to do yeah. that, but like I can't. Oh, yeah. Like they're gonna be like, so you, so we're gonna pay you full time to drag and water the infield and line it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm money. <laughs> Why not? I'm money at water. You go oh. back. Go check. Go check the uh, the live streams because now every college has live streams. Arcadia, the Glenside D three regional. I'm out there between games in 105 degree weather, soaking the field. I probably look like a maniac with how much water <laughs> I'm putting on this field. For how, by the third inning of Oswego versus Husson State, perfect. It, the, it held the water the whole game in 95 degree heat. That's all I'm going to say. And I even hit the front of home plate and it was perfect. <laughs> no Dark high choppers dirt. through the middle today. No. Oh, the things ew, are staying down. Disgusting. They, that's how they knew that I watered the field was they'd be like, no ground balls are getting through the infield boys. Get it off the ground. We need to get over the infielders heads. I'd be freaking soaking it. I'd be looking in Oswego's <laughs> dugout. Like I know you boys see this. You don't want this right now. You you boys can hit. Get the ball in the air. Let's go. Hey, a bunch of beef in your lineup. Don't hit it on yeah. the ground. Let's go. I don't care if it's a regional. Do what you do best. Yeah, no, but mm-hmm. it, like on that application, it had like, do you have any relevant experience? And I was like, like cracking my knuckles, you know, like, well, yeah. <laughs> I've pulled I took care of our home field, rebuild, yeah, yeah, yeah. edged. I'm really good with a hula ho, water, drag rebuilt our mound every couple years if i was staying on staff i was going to move our bullpens this summer yeah i can line an outfield line on a non-flat grass i know how to without a string yeah and i got to the point without a string this year yeah i'd be out there like morning of the game i used to do it you know when I first started doing it, I'd be, you know, line it, nail it in, measuring it with like a little leveler out there, making sure, hey, we're exactly where we need to be yeah. night before Friday after practice. This year, no. Yeah. I'd roll up Saturday morning, coffee in my left hand, spray sprayer in my, you know, the liner in my right hand, walking along the outfield grass. Those things were straight as an arrow. And I'd do this in my sleep. Good for you. You guys probably I, you guys probably use the chalk things down there too in Raleigh. I'll I'll get yeah. out there with the little drum and the yeah. There you go. Good for you because I had to. Part of my requirement of us hosting a regional was to edge the whole field, the warning track, the whole field. Our field 
wasn't flat in that area. So you're walking mm-hmm. with a sidewalk edger, and like next thing you know, you're you hit a little bump, and you're like, "Ooh, <laughs> there's a nice little lip there." Looked good by the end of it, but it took some cleaning oh, up and it took some time. I took some. I yeah, took the some warning track was about seven out. and a half feet wider after you were done. <laughs> Dude, and my neck, bro. My neck was hurting for like three weeks. Yeah, I don't know what it was from. I think it was just I carrying would, uh, the freight. What I started to do at the Doyle was I would go online um, at the start of every fall, um, and I would look at like MLB fields, what their cutouts around the bags were. And I remember one year I did the PNC cutouts, um, and I think the last couple years I did the Camden, Camden Yards cutouts. But like, I was getting good. But, like I was like, mm-hmm, we're gonna just do this just like how they have it there. And you know the lips at the Doyle were like, so you're literally like on a you're on a ramp craters. Yeah, it's like falling off because <laughs> the third base. You're like, yeah, it's like going downhill. Um, great spot to play, though. Uh, I'm going to say some positives here. If you're a prospective student athlete, Division two player, Goldie Beacon College, great coaching staff, great program. So what if there's a lip at third base? Right-handed hitter. There's a slight downhill slope in mm, left, in left field. field. Gets Ball you an flies. extra five to seven feet of carry. Easy. And the guy who teaches you how to do it is really good at teaching you how to do it. So you'll you'll hit a lot of them. There you go. Let's say something nice about about it after I was just killing their field. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, let's talk some baseball. What do you think? I'm in. Um, it's Thursday. We saw a good slate of, of games, a lot of interesting things. Uh, Mets and Braves obviously playing a four-game series this week, Monday through Thursday. Braves came out like gangbusters in the first two. Um, and kind of had everybody in the baseball world going, ooh. Uh, they they handed they handled the Mets uh, Monday and Tuesday night, but everyone that I heard talking about it kept forgetting to throw in the qualifier there that both nights the Mets starting pitcher got hurt. Yeah, which I think definitely in those series, I mean that plays a big part of it. I mean, not saying that the guys that they brought in weren't capable, not saying it was Scherzer or Degrom who got hurt, but still, you know, you go out there and you think this guy's going to go at least give you you know five six innings, and now you're having to cut outings short and you're extending the bullpen, and it just swings momentum when something like that happens. And the Braves were hot. Now last night, Scherzer took the mound. Um, Mets, you know, responded, answered. Uh, tonight they're locked in a two-two game uh, right now in the sixth. Degrom versus Max Fried both have been touched for um, two so far. Uh, and I would imagine this is probably the end of DeGrom's night because of the pitch count that they've had him on. Um, so that's been a good series. Brewers and Dodgers played four Milwaukee, split some really good games. Did you catch any of the extra inning games? I did not. The I extra inning caught, game the other night. The, yeah, the I only called the game today. The, the Chris Taylor in the 10th inning made just like an – unbelievable play. And obviously when it happens in a walk-off situation, it makes it better, but it's first and second. And I think it was Kutch. Yeah. Kutch smokes a ball to left center and off the bat, it's like beat him game. And he goes like up and back over his right shoulder, full extension, just sweet. Two outs um, to force that one. Anyway, Rose ended up winning that one in 10. Um, then they they get the get on getaway day five uh, three over the Dodgers, so they um, that's kind of a, that was a really big series as we talked about between those two, especially after they struggled a little bit last weekend. 
against the Cardinals, um, losing two or three. Now they get the Cubs this weekend. So we talked a lot about them uh, last episode. I, you know, I think they're, I do they're starting get, to find themselves in a good spot. I want to talk about something I saw real quick today, um, mm-hmm. and I want to know your opinion on it. So Corbin Burns, obviously, he started today. He's one of the grossest pitchers in baseball um, for his ability to throw four pitches. And as I was watching the game today, I couldn't help but notice that it seemed like he just didn't have his slider for whatever reason. And one thing I noticed, and this is kind of just curiosity as, you know, somebody obviously they do a lot very well with their pitching analytics, but he was having a tendency, like he likes to work his cutter up in the zone, right? Historically, Mm -hmm. like from when you've watched him, right? Today he was just down in the zone. And I know he talked about with Pitching Ninja in an interview he did that there's days where he gets more cut. There's days where he gets more rise. There's days where, you know, all these things like this variables go into play. Do you think he when he's good enough to work the bottom of the zone on cue when he knows he's not getting the rise on his cutter that he usually gets? Absolutely. Um, I yeah. think a lot of guys, especially the ones that are at the top of their you know, when you talk about the best pitchers in baseball, I think what make part of what makes them the best pitcher in baseball, best pitchers in baseball is that they understand what their stuff's doing every outing, right? Because when you think about it, everybody that you pretty much see at the big league level has really good stuff or at least one plus pitch, right? That's why they're, mm-hmm. that's why they're at that level. It's consistency, right? Cause you'll see things like you'll see a guy go out there and, and let's take Nick Lodolo, for example, right? Just cause I watched this game yesterday cause they're playing the Phillies, Nick Lodolo, seven shutout innings, right? He's talking about a guy coming into the game with a five ERA. Right? Now he's a rookie and he's got a really high upside and I really like his stuff, but it's like, okay, he can go out there and he can go seven shutout innings against a team that's been hot, scored 11 runs the night before. How? Well, he's a major league pitcher and he's got really good stuff. That's why. So then why does he have a five ERA? Cause he's not consistent, right? And on those days when you don't, you're not going to have your, the stuff he had yesterday, the fastball command glove side, the wipeout uh, slurve off of it. So what do you do in those situations? Well, the best pitchers know how to adjust. And the best pitchers mm-hmm. know how to figure out how to get through a big league lineup two, three times still and, and, and prevent runs even when they don't have their best command. So, yes, I would say absolutely. When he doesn't have the rise on his cutter, he can, you know, it's probably just a, a cue he's figured out to, I'm not getting rise on it, so I need to just, you know, really focus on extension and staying, staying out in front longer. And I can drive yeah. through and down and get the, get the nasty bite down. You know, and the thing that's really so hard about pitching is because a lot of pitching is physics because you're throwing a projectile through the air, right? And so when – one little thing is off, your stuff is off. So you talk about a slider being off or whatever. And I don't want to ramble too much about the science of pitching, but like that could just be a timing thing or mm-hmm. for whatever reason, he just doesn't have, you know, he's not getting his, his, the, the same snap on it as he normally does. So the guys who are really good know how to just like, instead of trying to force something that's not going to work because it's, they're successful, they know how to adjust off of it and still get out. Um, yeah. You know, Think about the best pitchers in the game. That's what they do when they don't have their stuff. Yeah. Now, yes, the best pitchers in the game have their stuff more days than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Right. That's also what makes yeah. them so good. But, um, yeah, it's interesting when you see guys being able to do that. It's impressive. Yeah. Honestly. It's, it was it was unreal. And he didn't, like, I mean, I don't want to say he got roughed around, but he didn't have his strikeout numbers that he usually has. Um, he gave up a ball. 
They gave up a couple hard singles late. Gavin Lux got him for what would have been a home run if center fielder didn't go over the wall and pull it back, actually. Like, literally, it was in his glove and flew out on fair territory. But, so, like, I mean, he's more susceptible to that kind of stuff when he has to pitch down in the zone because what makes him so effective is that rising cutter he has. But it was just crazy for him to, like, empty the well out against the Dodgers team one of the best sliders in baseball, didn't use it once, getting swings and misses on perfect changeups. I mean, he had an at-bat against Cody Bellinger, and this is one of those, from a hitting perspective, I was like, oh, I've been there when you know you're scuffling. And he went cutter black in, sinker at black away, and it was just like, I'm 0-2. Like, that's not that's a over. strike, first off. But, like, how did he hit? Like, And I mean, like, one-eighth of a ball in cutter one-eighth of a ball away, both strikes. Bellinger's kind of getting frustrated with the umpire. I'm like, that's how you know you're scuffling. It's like when you're 0-2 and guys just dotting you up like that. But it was crazy, and he was going curveball, change-up, you know, Max Muncy's, like, I'm talking about, like, inch-off-the-plate change-up for strike three. And, like, just his ability to command a change-up and a curveball that aren't necessarily known as plus pitches for him you know, his changeup's 90 with good arm side movement. That's about it. Like it, and it's a good, it basically looks like his sinker, but a little bit slower, which gets swings and misses when you're as good as he is. And that's what makes him so, I mean, again, that's what, there it is. Like, okay, I'm going to go to my fourth pitch today because my second best pitch, I don't have it. And this lineup is yeah. way too good for me to try and force it. And, you know, and I think yeah. about some of the younger guys in the game right now who have just, electric stuff but you still aren't seeing like right Shane McClanahan like think about how he's struggled a bit since the break now he's starting to turn around a little bit but again it's like some of those things where like well he comes back from the break he's thrown a ton of innings he then has to go to the Mm -hmm. all-star game and start and like it just throws him off his routine a little bit he comes back and he doesn't have his stuff he I I feel Mm -hmm. like some of those young guys you see they don't know how to navigate quite yet through a big league lineup when they don't have what they do best Dylan Cease yeah. is another guy. The times when you see Dylan Cease yes. and you're like, whoa. It's like, well, he, he doesn't have his stuff and he's still learning how to like, okay, what do I do? Whereas Corbin Burns, Clayton Kershaw, those guys, like when they don't have their plus stuff, they're, they're, they got a plan B, they got a plan C. They probably even have a plan D to try and get through it. Now, you know, they're probably in trouble and they're not lasting very long if we're getting all related to plan, plan D. But it's not like I need to, I can only, like this is the plan and if I don't have it, you can't just hang it up. You're a big leaguer. Like you got to find a way. Yeah. And and for those young guys, I think that's a part of the maturation process. Yeah, I mean it's crazy to see them like guys like that go to work and just just do it. I mean it's it's insane. Like watching him today, it was like this isn't the Corbin Burns you know and love, but it's so like even for a guy to go five and two thirds and give up three earned and with like six strikeouts, which is not a Corbin Burns outing. You know, no. this is the guy who's competing for a Cy Young again. And to be that impressed, like, I was just like, wow. Like, I mean, it, it, it's I'm, he's very analytical, so I'm sure he knew how much rise he had on his cutter in the bullpen. And he's probably like, yeah, I ain't got it today. I'm a little bit more behind. Like, I'm a little bit more on the side of it. It's getting more east to west than I would have than I normally expect. So I got to be down with it. And that could also possibly be why he scrapped the slider today, right? Because maybe the slider yeah. pairs better off the rise, rising cutter, and he's like, well, yes. sinker changeup looks better off this cutter down. And, again, that's what's impressive about some of these guys that are so good. Um, 
Yeah. And real quick, just because I mentioned him earlier, Nick Lodolo yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's impressive. He's yeah. impressive. That's the first time I've really sat down and watched him pitch. You know, first round pick out of high school, passes on it, goes to TCU. Um, I think he's a fifth round pick by Cincinnati. Or by first. Uh, seventh overall. He was a first, seventh overall. That's right. Um, and it's just like watching him. I mean, it's it's Chris Sale like a little bit. Like yeah. I was watching him, I'm like, there's a lot of Chris Sale in here. Um, he's more sinker, like Sale was earlier on, and when he commands it to the glove side and with the slur off of it, it looks just like Sale. Now he could probably use a third pitch um, eventually to help him get through the lineup a second and third time. He's really struggled this year. That's where he's gotten hurt the most is you know second mm-hmm. time through the order. I think he's got a ten ERA in the fourth inning this year. Um, but just to watch him like glove side paint sinkers at 95 he was just dotting it yesterday and you're like well, if he can command his fastball like that and command the slurve where the slurve i mean we're talking the slurve is about a ball and a half it's breaking to a ball and a half down off the plate you know yeah into a and right it's coming way to from left the first base like, dugout from the first base dugout where the sinker's yeah. coming off the same slot and he's painting that 95 in. And I mean, the swings, I mean, he, I think he had 18 swings and misses in seven innings. It was impressive. And it was like, this is yeah. the kid that like, Oh, this was the first round pick. Like this, this is going to be a guy that everybody's talking about soon. Really good. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he's actually one of my main stories that I go to for why I'm anti summer ball for college players is He's was invited to Team USA his jun- going into his junior season. And the reason he was drafted in the first round out of high school is because he was this long, wiry lefty. He was 89 to 91. And you're like, okay, that'll play. Like, he's going to add velo. He's going to add mass. Well, he got to college. He pitched all summer going into college. Pitched in the fall. Pitched in the spring. He's still 89 to 91. Sophomore, he pitches all summer in the Cape. He pitches all fall. He pitches all spring. 89 to 91, and people are starting to talk like, okay, well, he's not developing. I mean, he's still long and skinny, but he's not developing. He's not adding the velo that everybody thought he would. So in going into his junior year, he said no to Team USA. He said no to the Cape Cod, and he stayed at TCU and lifted weights all summer long, long toss, and he came out. He was 95 to 97 day one, and now he's 95 plus right now. And he's doing it, throwing strikes he, like he always has. He didn't really change anything mechanically. He's been the same pitcher since his senior year of high school. But being able to take that opportunity to add mass and add muscle, people don't understand how much baseball college players play and how much weight room time they miss. Three months of constant weight room with no worrying about playing games can be a career changer for kids at that, at that age. Yeah, I- Summer ball is a tricky subject when you talk about college. I mean, just because there's pros and cons. I'm I'm generally I don't love it, especially for pitchers, because of that that reason is because you need to have some sort of off season. And the way the college schedule sets up, if you're pitching in summer ball, you don't get an off season, and you need yeah. some kind of off season. And by off season, I mean a time to train, a time to do different yes. things instead of just pitching 12 months a year. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't think you necessarily need to shut down for two months. You could throw all year. That's fine, but you have to have different, you know, you have to have different effort levels and different things that you're doing with the throwing. Yeah. Um, and, and the winter is not enough. Get better. 
And no, like no, the, not even close. In the winter, you should be prepping for your season, right? So yeah, like there's there's not enough mass building that you can do that. And then like the example no. I would always tell anybody who asked that wanted to play professionally is this question right here: Do you think MLB scouts care about what your stats were last summer when you show up in the spring and hit 450 with power and show MLB no. level tools? No. It'll go, oh, what did he do in Virginia last year with wood bad against good town? No. Go go get big and pop in the spring, and they'll take you. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's tough for some guys, though, because it, some guys really do benefit from it. Some guys need to get yeah. away and get that experience. But for most guys, I generally like it. You know, it was always a depends thing. And I used to hate when, you know, those summer coaches fill out their – I don't want to get into a whole thing on college summer, but I could talk all night about it. But those, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're emailing you in August. And it's like, well, I don't know how long this – how many innings this guy's going to throw this summer. If he throws 60 yeah. innings, no, you can't have him. No. Yeah. I don't want him to throw all fall, train all like you know, build up all winter. He, you know, our guys would get usually around twenty innings before we start the year, and then he throws sixty innings. That's eighty innings. He's a sophomore. No. Yeah. You can well, have my freshman like, who's not going to pitch much. Oh, you don't want him. Yeah. He's not good enough. You can't win your summer yeah, ball championship. Exactly. Cool. This was a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Call me in May. Yeah. Well, even even our friend of the pod, Colin Palouse, it took him COVID year was the first time he really lifted since. Ever, you know, he's thankfully gifted with size and strength. But at the end of the day, when you haven't had six months to just lift and move, since he had had Tommy John, right? Yeah, yeah. And you put that into perspective, and next thing you know, you're sitting there and you're still ninety to ninety-two after four or five years. And it's like people don't understand how much the college baseball season is, and there's not a true six to eight weeks to add true mass and true strength to start moving more efficiently and faster to produce higher like force. Colin, Colin, that COVID year, he was not stuck on ninety ninety-two. A bullpen on Labor Day weekend, he was ninety-four to ninety-six. Easy. Yeah, wasn't easy. wasn't max effort, you know, like 90 was ninety four ninety six. Yeah, on Labor Day that year, he had just taken you know that was six months of him lifting and just you know throwing program and and working on moving better, and he was ninety four ninety six in the bullpen. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> as we digress here, uh, Yankees, I don't know, I I like. I guess we should talk. We haven't gone too in depth since the deadline on them. Um, we kind of mentioned them every episode of the string. They lost two or three to the Rays. I'm still not in panic mode. They need to get healthy. We and you said that we've said this every single episode since the trade deadline. Like once they're healthy, they're fine. They did a good job building the lead in the division. They're going to win that division. I think they're going to be fine. Is it going to suck to have to go to Houston for the ALCS? Yes. They're healthy. Can they be the one team to beat Houston in the ALCS in a game seven in Houston? Yeah, I think so. So. Um, they got a big emotional win with a walk-off by Donald's walk-off slam and extras um, to save themselves from getting swept last night. And tonight, Frankie Montas lays an egg, so they're getting beat up pretty bad by Toronto. But, again, none of those teams are beating them. I, you know, I, I think the probably the most compelling division to watch in the American League is the AL Central. I know I make jokes about it all the time, but um, the Guardians keep rolling. I almost called them the Indians. The Guardians keep rolling. Uh 
you know, they handled Detroit this week and they've got themselves a nice little lead in the central with Minnesota. Now all of a sudden um, on the outside of the playoff picture looking in and the guardians are kind of fascinating to me just because of how they weren't, they're a frustrating organization in the sense that they develop really well, but they don't want to pay anyone ever. They finally pay Ramirez, right? Which is great because Ramirez clearly wanted to be there. He was clearly begging for a hometown discount deal. They finally give it to him. But you've seen over the years how, you know, guys kind of get better and then they're just eager to get them off their hands because they don't want to pay. Um, and so you look at how this team's constructed and all of a sudden I think they, they back themselves into a pretty good, a pretty good team with a lineup that kind of does a lot of different things with a kind of a band of misfit toys. I don't know how sustainable it is in the future, but it, I think it's like I, I'm starting to pay attention to them finally because this is you know we're into August here and they're still they're still playing well, and they're fun to watch. Like guys like Stephen Kwan, like he's that's a that's a fun guy to watch. Jose Ramirez has always been a fun guy to watch. Their catchers don't hit a lick, but I think Hedges does a great job defensively. Um, and then they got guys on the mound. It's like who, like wow, like who is. And they just, every year they compete, whether it's Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie. I mean, it, it's impressive what they're doing, to me at least. Yeah, I mean, they're they're one of the best development organizations in, in the MLB, and, and there's a reason for that. And, you know, they understand that they're not going to spend money, so they know they have to develop their talent. And, and that's the the basically the most important thing for a small market team is they have to be able to develop their talent. You know, Andres Jimenez last year was not good. I mean, flat out, like they got burned on the Lindor trade going into last year at the end of last year. Ahmed Rosario is nothing special. You know, some of the prospects, sure, it's okay. But Andres Jimenez was supposed to be the piece and they got him where he is today. Right, there's the Mets don't deserve credit for that. Nobody except for the Indians and the work that Andres Jimenez have done since he's gotten there and since this year has made him a 23 year old, basically future superstar. I mean, we're talking about that's that's how capable this is. It's it's a lot like Jose Ramirez's profile when he first kind of came up of like if this guy continues to grow into his power, like we're talking about a superstar and that's what Jose Ramirez is and that's what Andres Jimenez could be. Um, you know, he runs a lot, he runs the bases great, he puts the ball in play, he's starting to show some more power. He's looking like a twenty twenty guy at twenty three years old. I mean that's he he's a stud and the Indians deserve a ton of credit for that. And even Stephen Kwan, like, you know, this is a guy that's kinda of hedging their bets on the fact that these guys are gonna start to add power, Mike a la Michael Brantley. Um, you can kind of see these examples, and guess what? They're all former Indians that have developed into the players Guardians. that we see today. Guardians, sorry. I'll, I'll just stick with Cleveland. Yeah, well, yeah, you might have to. You're going to get us kicked off by Apple for uh, <laughs> get people mad at us. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, that's a great point, and I think they lean into what they do best, and that's the thing that we talk about all the time. They're quietly one of the best development you know, organizations in in the game, but we talk about how organizations need to pick it, you know, find a niche and go with it. And that's what they do. And I mean, you kind of look through this order and it's amazing. Like, yeah, Stephen Kwan, here's a guy who they knew had really good bat to ball and they did a good job finding him. They did a great job developing him. And now we're into August and he's starting to slug a little bit, right? His OPS is up 771, where early in the year, his on base and his OPS were the same as his average, it felt like, through the first two months. And Andres Jimenez, He's hitting 310 with an 876 OPS in their seven hole. 
right? It's like, whoa. Like you look at that yeah. lineup, it's sneaky, and then oh, who's hit, who's hitting behind Ramirez? How about a twenty-four-year-old who's six foot four and Oscar Gonzalez who walks up to the plate, and you're like, who's this monster? I've never even heard of this guy. He's twenty-four years old, mm-hmm. and and guess what? He's hitting three oh six. So it's just like you know, I it's impressive, and I, I I don't I think they're gonna surprise some people if they get into a playoff series. You know, they're gonna be a division winner. They're gonna get that first round and have all three games at home and. Right now, I guess it would be Toronto, who they would be hosting for three, and you're going to get them into a, you know, Toronto's going to go in there, and, and you're not going to know what happened. You know, yeah. But who is this team? What do they do? Because they know what they do so well. And I, I mean, sometimes I think managers get too much blame, and sometimes I get think they get too much credit. But Terry Francona has been one of the best to do it in baseball for a lot of years now, and. He seems like one of those managers that no matter what always maximizes the roster he has. I don't, you know, I think that's really hard to do in Major League Baseball because as a manager, you're not calling plays. You're not, you know, you have no control over shift changes like hockey. You're not, you know, you don't have any control over rotation like basketball. So it's hard to do something like that. But he, he's, he's finds a way to maximize whatever roster he has every year. And he should get a ton of credit. I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, um, just because all the successes he's had. But yeah, I mean, he's he's done a great job, and they're they're gonna they're really going to give a team, um, whoever they get matched up with in the playoffs, if they make it, they're going to give someone some problems. And then they yeah. got guys like Tyler Freeman who are still coming up, and their prospects, their system's mm-hmm. still loaded. Like, good job, Guardians. Yeah, hooray. Um. Moving into this weekend a little bit, uh, the Mets and Phillies meet for four again. Um, kind of, the, you know, I feel the same way I did last weekend. It's a, it, you want it to be, a, you wish you could talk about it like it was going to be a big series, but I don't think the Phillies are going to catch the Mets. Um, it'll be interesting because the Phillies are going to avoid like four of the Mets top five starting pitchers in the series in a four game set. Um, you know, they'll get Bassett on uh, Friday, but then, and no DeGrom, no Scherzer, obviously no Cookie, no Taiwan because they got hurt. So um, it'll be interesting to see who the Mets go with and the Phillies have a chance to continue to gain some ground and stay hot. Um, Toronto and New York are playing a four-game set. Cleveland, Cleveland and Chicago, that's now a big series, right? Because the White Sox continue to try and hang around the three games over in the, in the, in the wild card and they have an outside shot at the division. Cleveland, obviously, we just talked about they're in first place. So that's a big series in Cleveland this weekend. Um, and then I think the best weekend series of the weekend is, is the Braves and the Astros. Yeah, that's real good baseball right there. For me, it's, it's just interesting. It's continuing. It's fun when you get some of these, you know, out of division big series, right? We've had the Yankees and the mm-hmm. Mariners and to see how like, okay, this could be a playoff series. Obviously this would have to be a, a, a world series rematch from last year, but, um, the ultimate measuring stick, right? Because to me, it's still the Astros and Dodgers who are head and shoulders above the rest of the league this year. Um, and so, anytime you get a chance to play Houston, if you're in Atlanta, you're you know you probably aren't happy to see Houston on your schedule right now because you're trying to make a push to win the division um, and you've been really hot. But it's gonna it's gonna be you get them coming coming to Atlanta, you get a chance to um, you know try and again, make a statement. You know, I feel like I say that every week about the Braves. I feel like their schedule has been really tough since the break and they've continued to yeah, win. It has been. So hats off yeah. to them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they continue to sign their players to forever deals. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Michael Harris, just, do you have the details on that? Yeah. Can you pull up the details on that? Yeah, I got you. I'm sorry. This is not – this is bad podcasting right here. Spur like that was not talked about as much. No, none yeah. of them have been talked about. We just talked about the so fact eight, that I, Ozzy Albies is making freaking $35 million, Eight years for so 72. So I have it. Yeah, Harris. eight for seventy-two for Michael Harris, the um, rookie mm-hmm. center fielder for the Braves. Who um, everyone thought it was going to be Christian Pache out there in center field for forever. They obviously moved on for him before the start of the year in the Olsen deal, and that's because they knew that they had this this kid ready to come up, and he comes up, and he's he's been exactly what they needed. He's been a shot in the arm for him. He's been a tremendous defensive player. He swung it that well. They can freight for seventy-two, so that's now Olsen they have locked up, Austin Riley they have locked up. Mm-hmm. Ozzie Albies, they have locked up. Ronald Acuna, they have locked up. And outside of Olsen, I would say they have every single one of them on a team-friendly deal. In a sport with no salary cap, in a time when guys are getting more money than ever, Alex Anthropolis has managed to lock up the core of the Atlanta Braves. And you look at it, it's like, this team's going to be good forever. Forever? I mean, they don't even need a minor league system. Why? For what? Your your big league team is set. Your one through five is set for the next ten, seven years at least, five years at least. I think Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna are probably in year three of their contract at this point. But, I mean, not affordable. Like, they, they could easily t- – I mean, I mean, think Austin Riley's affordable. He's an MVP yes. candidate. Oh, no question. 21.2 a year? No question. I mean, that's – you could go sign Gansby this offseason, too. So here's so a couple things that I'm gonna yeah I want to set up for you. One, what would affordable? What would Austin Riley get on the open market if Austin Riley went into free agency this year, much like Freddie Freeman, back after the two years he he just had, he wins a World Series, he puts up MVP numbers last year. What is he getting? Fourteen years, thirteen years. Probably, I mean, if anything, because he's a bigger corner infielder and you run that risk probably eight for 240 so they got eight for 240 for right. eight for 240 is probably what you're looking at like at least it's crazy and then, I mean, so where does that i don't want to go too galaxy brain here but where does that leave dan to be swanson so you see all these guys getting locked up right so they lock up harris they lock up which harris you know track record I know Dansby struggled early on there, but it's really starting la- at the end of last year, this time through right now, Dansby Swanson has been one of their best players, right? The bat yeah. came along. He's always been a, a great defender. He's a free agent. They haven't signed him. And to me, that's interesting. To me, that tells me something. There's something there. If the Braves are locking up all these guys in the core, either Dansby said I, there's been something that we haven't heard about, there's been contract talks and Dansby has said no thank you or they see something and part of me wonders have is there someone else that that they think fits better with this team that's going to be a free agent that plays shortstop on the west coast N- I no I think I I think it's more I think they would lock up Dansby if they could and I think Dansby 
I think Dansby was just betting on himself. You know, honestly, like they might have tried to like, like you said, I mean, it's really been since last year that he's been a valuable big leaguer. So it would have had to come over the last year. And if Dansby's feeling himself, he's starting to believe in himself. He's like, I'm going to ride this thing out till the last minute. I think he wants to be a brave for life. I would imagine they want him to be there, but like, this has all come so quick for Dansby Swanson that like he would have either accepted something that is well beyond below what he's playing at now, which their whole team is on at this point, or he, they would have not wanted to lock him up long-term because they would have been like, we could get a Carlos Correa. We could get a Trey Turner. We could get a Corey Seager. Like we if Dansby doesn't turn out, we just, all right, sorry. You know, you're an Atlanta guy. You know, we love you, but we're going to go get the Trey Turners of the world, the Corey Seegers of the world. But now that they believe in him, now Dansby's turning the table on them. Like, oh, yeah, you didn't want to lock me up for first four years I was here. Now I'm not going to sign with you because I'm going to keep betting on myself, and he just keeps doing it. I just think it's interesting. Normally you hear if there's some sort of talks going on. Although I guess with the Braves you haven't really, right, Austin Riley – News gets dropped Came out on the nowhere. trade deadline. No one heard about yeah. it. Michael Harris, no one saw that coming. So they not only do they get these hometown deals, but they do a good job keeping a lid on it. It's just fascinating. It's almost like they're operating in a different space than everyone else right now. I mean, what it since, seems like that. Since Anthropolis has gotten there, what they've done and just how they've managed things. And, hey, Braves fans, Mike Soroka comes back soon. He threw a rehab start, which that can be a conversation for another day, but good luck for them. Before we get out of here, I want to discuss one thing. So we kind of got into the Orioles a little bit. Um, I think it was last – it was either two episodes ago or last episode. Um, we kind of started talking about the Orioles and how fascinating they've been. They're starting to – you know, they've been a little bit more up and down. They're still four games over 500. They host the Red Sox, who are – two games behind, you know, two games back of the Orioles this weekend um, in last place, which is just who saw that coming this year. Um, but, man, the Orioles, again, like I don't I don't know much to say, but you just watch and how they built the team. We talked a little bit about that lineup and just, you know, that lineup, that lineup hits, and who would have thought? Um, yeah. You know, although people forget that Jorge Mateo was once a top prospect. Um, but – the bullpen, what they've done, and just kind of how they've gone about building it. And to me, Chris Holt, who who's their pitching coach, does not get nearly enough credit for the job he's done. Starting pitching, relief pitching, because when you take a job like that where you're going into a full rebuild, you have a lot of work on your hands. Because as the big league pitching coach, a lot of what you're implementing at that level has to trickle down for the most part through the minor leagues. And your job to me, what's most important when you take a job like being in Baltimore the last couple of years is implementing the stuff that you want to trickle down so that when the guys come up, when you are ready to compete, do a good job. And not only has he done that, as we've seen that Grayson Rodriguez has exploded, DL Hall, but the big league arms are doing a great job too. And every guy they run out of the bullpen is really good. Really good. It's it's insane. I mean, honestly, like they have no name scrappy pitchers that are really good and pitching at really high levels. And 
and striking out 10 per nine. And it's just unbelievable to see that they could turn a guy like Colonel Perez, like Felix Batista, even mm. like Jorge Lopez. Like they traded Jorge Lopez at the deadline and people forget that that guy had a six ERA last year. Yeah. A it's, six. It's unreal. I mean, and they're just, again, they're fun. I think everybody who, just that, that whole management group there just deserves so much credit um, for, for what they, what they've done. And I mean, their offense, I mean, they, they were one of the worst offenses in baseball to start the year. And then just, you know, looking at OPS, right. They were 27th in the league in April and they're fifth in the month of August fifth. I mean, yeah. they had a six ERA last year as a team. They're, you know, they're down to a four, six, one, um, but it's just, it's impressive and they're going to be really good in a couple of years in that division, which I thought that I thought the disaster that they had, they just had given out some bad contracts. They had held on to some of those guys for too long and I thought they were in trouble, but Mike Elias and Sigmaid all and, and all those guys, um, have just come in and done a, done a great job and, and I want to give them their flowers. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, the, what epitomizes what they've done is, in, in the article that was posted on MLB.com is Austin Voth just straight up saying after he was released from the Nationals, I was kind of blown away by all the data that they have here, the video guys and how they can break down stats and pitches and individually things for each pitcher. That was big for me. So if you're wondering why Colonel Perez is the pitcher he is, it's that statement right now, right there. If you wonder why Felix Batista, Jorge Lopez, Austin Voth, Dean Kramer, the list goes on and on is just the analytics and the information that they're able to expose these pitchers to and put them in a position to be successful is why they're able to roll guys out with good stuff. Colonel Perez has always had good stuff. I remember him when he was with the Astros just because his name was Colonel Perez. Like, that's a freaking sick name. (laughs) So I was like, God, this guy is 95 to 96, 97 with you know, good arm side movement, a wipeout slider, you know that name and it sticks in your head. And then he struggles, he was traded to the Rays, he struggles, and then they pick, or to the Reds, sorry, not the Rays. And then yep. the Orioles get him and they're just like, hey, go gunsling it and we'll put you in a position to be successful. And that's what it is. And from an offensive perspective, and, and you know, maybe this is, we'll have this conversation another day to go a little bit more in depth, but. I really do think they have something figured out, and Jorge Mateo is the the piece of that, is they are almost revaluing the stolen base, right? Jorge Mateo does not provide the thump of a a prototypical player in today's baseball, but guess what he can do? You get on first base, you steal second base within first two pitches. That's a double, right? If you look at MLB run probabilities – you are more likely to score from second base than you are from first. And that's just a matter of fact. It actually comes down to run scoring at at that level, at the college level, actually comes to from getting to people to second base as frequently and as early as possible. Getting a guy to second base with nobody out is almost a 50% chance to get a run in. It's a like guaranteed 35, 40%. Run. Right. Yeah. And by 
putting Jorge Mateo in that position to say, okay, you might not do this, right? The MLB has been so focused and hyper-fixated on getting guys that can hit themselves to second base. Yeah, because it's the path of least resistance. You can't get thrown out. MLB catchers are really good. Pitchers are good at controlling the run game. Quick down plate, all those things like that. Yes, but if you can find value in a stolen base the way they can, it completely changes things, and I think it's a new way to kind of almost revalue offense and and do things differently that I've actually done research and statistical analysis on. That's, again, conversation for another day that I have stashed away somewhere with that stuff and, and how I use that at the college level, and I think that's something that the Orioles are starting to realize is, hey, if we can get Jorge Mateo in scoring position as much as possible, he's the same as that doubles guy that we could have signed for a lot more money. Yeah, and then when you, it, it also matters in that sense, too. Once you get the guy to second base, who's, who's getting them in, right? And I think, again, yeah. a lot of that comes down to balance. Well, Adley Rushman has come in and just been the guy that they thought he was going to be, and that's who's going to drive him in. Anthony Santander has has done a good job with, you know, he has a little bit of pop for him. So, again, it, it, it is. It's the balance, right? Mullins, Cedric Mullins is another guy who last year showed a ton of juice, but this year he, he hasn't had the juice. Well, what has made him still a valuable player is the fact that when he gets on first base, he's probably going to be on second base within a couple pitches, right? And and like you said, yeah. that's huge. And then you have someone to to drive them in. Um mm-hmm. And man, they're just—they're exciting. It's exciting and it's fun. And, and uh, you know, you threw so many of those names out there on the on the pitching side of things, and it's crazy because usually you see teams like this—they have stretches where um, they 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 produce and they play a little bit better than expected. But this is a team that's now into August and they're still four games over, and they're doing good and it's on the horizon. I mean, what they've gotten out of you know. Ryan Mountcastle this year and, and, and guys like that. It's been awesome. So um, be on the lookout because the next couple of years, it's going to get really fun in, in Baltimore. Definitely is. All right. Well, late night. It's time to get some rest. Uh, make sure you download, share, like, subscribe, rate. Find us on all podcast platforms. Trev, any last thoughts? Nope. Enjoy the weekend of baseball, and we'll be coming to you with a deep dive this weekend. Can't wait. We'll see you then.